This is ESG Decoded, the podcast powered by Global Affairs Associates to provide relevant, actionable updates related to business innovation and sustainability. Join Caitlin Allen and Amanda Shea of Global Affairs Associates for thoughtful, nuanced conversations with industry leaders that explore the complexities, the risks, and the opportunities connected to all things ESG. I'm Yvonne Harris, a consultant and co-host, and I will be collaborating with Caitlin and Amanda for the discussions that we will present on this podcast. Put simply, ESG is everything that is not on your balance sheet. This leaves room for misunderstanding, oversimplification, and the tendency towards one-size-fits-all perspectives. None of that will happen on this podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hi, thanks for tuning in to ESG Decoded, the podcast powered by Global Affairs Associates. I'm Yvonne Harris, and today I am excited to be joined by Anton Rushikov, a senior consultant with Global Affairs Associates and a leading expert in climate change risk assessment and climate-related reporting. Thank you for your time today, Anton. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today. Yes, excited to chat with you. I know that we're going to discuss climate-related corporate reporting and the task force on climate-related financial disclosures, also referred to as TCFD, and their reporting framework and recommendations. So let's start at the beginning. Um, What is the TCFD framework and what kind of climate-related financial disclosures does it recommend? TCFD is task force for climate-related financial disclosures. The task force was launched back in 2015 at the Paris conference, that very Paris conference that brought together almost 200 countries that managed to agree on the goal to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions so we can stay within two degrees uh, centigrade temperature increase with aspiration for 1.5. So so TCFD really recommends companies to look at four core areas. One is governance. So how actually the governance structure is organized that climate risks are taken into account when investment decisions are made. Whether or not the board has some oversight over these issues how actually climate-related information informs executive management when they decide what the strategy should be for the company. So that's one area. Second area is strategy. So actually, what tools does company use to assess climate-related risks, how they then manage these risks, and how they incorporate these risks into a strategy. Third area, really is about risk management. So what are the tools within the risk management system that the companies have that they use to manage climate-related risks? And finally, the fourth core area is actually metrics and targets. It's basically about what kind of data companies are using to actually measure, to assess where they are in the process that they can actually assess the risks and they can manage the risks. And what are the targets? Because in the end, it's all about us making sure that we can all kind of move into this low carbon you know, economy 
so we can reduce our carbon footprint. And this way we can, of course, you know, uh, stay within what we call our carbon budget to ensure that we can stay within, you know, below two degrees centigrade uh, temperature increase. So to recap just a part of that, Anton, Uh um, the four core areas of the TCFD framework are governance, Mm -hmm. strategy, risk management, and metrics targets data. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. So why are companies now being asked to disclose climate-related information, and what are the drivers behind these disclosures? you can really use your typical business risk analysis tools because they're precedent driven. With climate related risk and climate change impacts, we actually, there is no way for us to assess what, you know, what actual impacts will be. That's what TCFD tries to kind of help with in terms of how companies can approach assessing these risks. And that's why they recommend to use scenario analysis For investors, in the end, what they want to know is that your strategy as a company is resilient against, you know, all those risks and all those different scenarios. Give us an example of a risk that you would disclose. So you'll hear a lot about transition risks, and these are the risks that are associated with the transition to a low carbon economy. So say you are an oil and gas producer. So risk for you is that there may be cap on greenhouse gas emissions. There may be additional cost of producing carbon intensive products. That at some point, you may even have a case when you can't even produce any greenhouse gas emissions because, you know, we sort of situation so dire that, you know, basically the government decides no more greenhouse gas emissions. So these are your risks. So then you decide, okay, uh, and, and then if you're an investor, I'll, I'll give you example of Saudi Aramco, the largest oil and gas company, the high, I mean, they're kind of, they're now competing with Apple for who is the most valuable in the world. So like a couple trillion, right, uh, in valuation. Saudi Aramco now produces about 10 million gallons of oil per day, which is about 10% of the world's consumption. At this rate, they still have enough reserves to produce for the next 70 years. So you're an investor and you're thinking, okay, so they, the, the, the value that this company has actually in the product that they produce, which is oil. And oil today is probably more valuable because we know that you know, as we move along, we'll have to reduce our oil consumption because we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And there is embedded carbon in this product, in, in what they produce. And then you think, okay, so this is my 401k. So I want my 401k to be bigger right. <laughs> in 30 years <laughs> than it's now. And, 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 and then when you look at uh, ExxonMobil, which was the most valuable company just 12 years ago with $500 billion in capitalization. Now they own they less than... I think 200 billion. So then the question for you as an investor, now, you know, two years ago, Saudi Aramco had the IPO. It was, it was not like real IPO, but nevertheless. So you consider investing. So how do you decide, you know, based on what you know about, you know, where the world is going, you know, what we need to do about greenhouse gas emissions, whether or not your, you know, your retirement <laughs> investment should be there, or maybe you should go somewhere else. 
So TCFD, going back to TCFD, is really about assessing the risks, future risks of all these companies and their valuations. Because again, what we don't know may impact in the future how we value assets, right? And that's why actually TCFD is about financial, you know, impacts on uh, on companies. It's not environmental sort of piece. It's really about financial aspect. And 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 again, because we don't know, because it's so far away, because there's so many different elements to this, and we also to use a terminology that's being used in the U.S. Army is that they talk about climate change as a trig, as a risk multiplier. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly that. So so you, you already have some uh, you know some risks embedded in the system, but climate change going to kind of it may set a change reaction, and um, when we, for example, you know Federal Reserve. Their main concern is high leverage in the corporate sector. So what they say is that you don't really need a big trigger, but given all the leverage which is there already, even a little bit, you know, can trigger a chain reaction that will uh, cause major uh, what they call repricing of assets. And basically, when you have repricing, it's probably going to go down. And then the reason central banks are so concerned because they are lenders of last resort. So actually they really want to know in advance, you know, how much of a bill they have to basically, you know, to pay for if if something like that happens. Anton, let's build on this a little bit Mm -hmm. more. As you know, on the risk coin, on the other side of that coin is also an opportunity. Um, So the potential solution or the countermeasure to the risk. And TCFD also recommends um, disclosing those opportunities as well. So even picking up on some of the examples that you shared with risks, what would be an example of an opportunity disclosure? Well, TCFD provides actually five opportunity areas, and they have to do with better use of resources using renewable sources of energy. It is also about market opportunities because, you know, if you can develop low carbon products or carbon neutral products, it's an opportunity. And they also talk about resiliency. So investing in resiliency of of your business, whether it's physical resilience or organizational financial resilience. So these are all opportunities. And in fact, companies now, especially in energy sector, obviously, you know, they, they talk about net zero emissions. And actually, it's an opportunity because once you find a solution, you can turn it into business. In some cases, of course, there are constraints, for example, with carbon management, because we still don't have price on carbon. So we, we, we don't really have a real market for carbon. But when you think about this, once we have price, then all the projects that help to utilize and maybe store or some or use carbon in some way actually become uh, a business opportunity. So yeah, so that's 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 really important part of it. So and we always like to say that where is challenge, there is an opportunity. And really, it is about a transition, transition mm-hmm. from high carbon world to low carbon world to net zero carbon world, and. 
and in the end, of course, you know, and there are many uh, examples, you know, there are uh, much investment now that goes into this low carbon uh, economy, or at least, you know, uh, something that can be part of this low future low carbon economy. Um, and, 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 you know, to give a big example, you know, ExxonMobil is investing billions of dollars in carbon uh, capture and storage technologies, because they actually, what we know from, you know, from, some, from, from, from analysis of how we can reach net zero is actually we do need to have these technologies in place. Because if we want to be net zero, uh, we're probably not going to have uh, enough trees, you know, to capture all CO2. So we actually have to do it um, kind of in an in, in industrial way. And, uh, and that's an opportunity. And then if on top of that, you actually have, you know, market price for your product, which is, you know, carbon, well, of course, uh, you know, and you can make money, you know, basically by capturing storing product uh, carbon. That's that's uh, that's an opportunity. Let's and, shift gears a little bit, yeah. Anton, if we may, and yeah. um, talk about the TCFD's recommendation of scenario analysis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Help me here. Um, yeah. What exactly is scenario analysis, and how does that differ from like traditional business analysis and other planning tools that organizations are already using? Yeah, that's a very good question. That's and that's I think there is a lot of kind of discussion about why they recommended uh, scenario analysis, and um, I actually sort of mentioned this before uh, briefly. So climate change related risks are not your typical risks, business risks, right? Because business risk is something that have much shorter time uh, horizon. So typical business planning cycle is probably one year for strategy, maybe up to five, in some cases up to 10 years. But Beyond that, you know, you don't really have, because it's, for business, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to invest into, you know, 20 year planning from now. So, but assessing climate related risk is exactly that. So you have to think about 10, 20, 30 years. And there's so many unknowns that, uh, so, because your typical business analysis would be, uh, you use your historic data and then extrapolate it into the future. And Obviously, you can use different formulas, you can use different models, you make your assumptions, but in the end, it's still all embedded based on what's been in the past. Although I would say, you know, of course, in energy industry, when you invest billions of dollars in the project, I worked the project that investment was about $50 billion in the end, and this project will operate in past probably 2050, and it's oil producing project. So actually companies do have, like oil companies, you know, like Exxon and Shell, they do have to think like really, really long-term. But it's not the case for many other industries where the cycle is much shorter. And so that's where you use scenario analysis as a tool of your kind of business risk assessment. And scenarios are really, they're not about predicting the future. They're not about assigning actual probability for which future is likely to, you know, to happen. They actually, so you, you have your futures and, and typically you, you talk about the two or four, right? And then all this is based on, on 
very uh, clear assumptions that are based on, say, on trends. So when we talk about energy scenarios, for example, we always talk about population growth. Why it's important? Because with population growth, you have growth in energy demand. We also talk about, say, oil price and natural gas price, because, yeah, if you have high demand, your price is probably going to be higher. If, you know, lower demand, lower. Then we'll look at possible constraints, right? So, for example, government action. Right. So say government wants to, or they have to, a particular government has to comply with commitments made at Paris. Right. So they have to introduce certain measures that may impose additional costs on doing business. Right. So, so you make your assumption about extent of government action. You can say, you know, in this scenario, there's no action. And in that scenario, there's very restrictive action. And then you have your business strategy and you kind of test your strategy against all these different states. And then ideally you want to say, you know, in all these different states, we're still a resilient business. We still can make money. We still can deliver value to our shareholders. And in the end, this is what investors want to know. They really want companies uh, to test their business strategy against these different scenarios and kind of provide uh, evidence that uh, this uh, they can stay resilient. You know, they can still be profitable. That even if there is any impact on their financial performance, still it's a kind of management manageable impact. So as a business leader, When do I know that my company is ready to evolve and start developing scenarios for our company? I'd say this is, this is very company specific okay. because again, some companies are much more advanced in how they do their business risk analysis and analytics. You know, think about banks, they run very sophisticated models and they can actually, you know, apply some of the, so they, they can sort of bring climate-related risks into their existing models. But some companies uh, don't have this, uh, you know, experience. And they can simply go and do, say, descriptive uh, risk analysis. Just describe, you know, just look at, uh, and, and I, uh, you know, I teach a course in TCFD and uh, I give this example of JetBlue Airlines. The first TCFD report, I, I give it as a, extremely good example of just just descriptive analysis of uh you know of risks and uh what actually what i've learned from that analysis is that you know they fly a lot of course to the caribbean right so where temperatures are rising and you know caribbeans or islands so actually they have really short runaways unlike in phoenix or you know they do yeah so so with high temperatures, actually, they uh, they can take as much load. So the takeoff load has to be lower. So, and, and like one degree, two degrees, they can actually calculate in the end, you know, how much impact is going to have on their revenue because they have to take fewer fat, they'll, they'll have to take fewer passengers and less, uh, you know, load uh, to be able to take off. And that's, that's, uh, 
so you don't really need to have a very sophisticated sort of, uh, you know, model, but if you know your business, you can actually identify what are the risks and how you can then, what you can do about kind of addressing and managing them. Well, Anton, I hope you don't mind, but based on that last scenario that you just described, my mind immediately went to, I need a vacation in the islands. <laughs> yeah, 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 you, you should. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 yeah, they, so but likely you know they're they're probably gonna you know the ticket prices probably gonna you know be adjusted you know to to help them with uh, you know to, because there's gonna be fewer passengers as well. So, uh, but that's uh, so again with scenarios is really and and that and TCFD is also very clear about that is that application of scenarios have to be company specific. So companies really have to look at how the scenarios can help them to assess the risks and sort of, and look for ways to, you know, to manage them. And if you've been running, you know, your sophisticated models for many years, probably you can also do your incorporate, you know, climate models, but if it's not the case, it's not a problem. Also, in addition to that, there are different scenarios that have been developed by um, different organizations. And if you look at you know, different TCD reports, they very often refer to scenarios developed by the International Energy Agency. They're probably the most famous energy scenarios. So that's another option option for companies to consider is basically to, 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 to use those scenarios. And actually that's what happens, I think, in energy industry in general, because there's one scenario, which is very kind of robust scenario, uh, so-called two degree scenario called sustainable development scenario. And it provides with assumptions on oil price, you know, energy demand, and companies can use the information to test uh, their strategies and their assumptions against this scenario. And if they sort of, if they fare well against those, they can actually, that's a good message again, also to investors that, you know, we've tested our assumptions against the scenario uh, developed by the International Energy Agency and, uh, and we did well. So, so we, still, we still can show that we can be uh, profitable in that constraint and that and the scenario the sustainable development scenario is actually pretty constrained in terms of carbon price in terms of lower oil price lower energy demand in general so if you can test your assumptions and say yeah we actually can still be in business that's 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 important for investors to know so anton um for those that are listening today what do you deem to be um, the call to action? What are some of the um, maybe pressing topics that are happening mm-hmm. in the climate reporting space mm-hmm. for the balance of this year, even going into 2022? Well, let me put it this way. So we all expect at the end of April, new greenhouse gas reduction target from the United States. Because okay. you know, the United States has rejoined the Paris Agreement. Correct, yes. And... The previous target was uh, 26 to 28% reduction against the baseline of 2005. What we're hearing is likely to be targeted for 2030 and is probably going to be much more aggressive. 
What it means for everybody else is that very likely we're going to see some a policy action, some regulation that will be put in place to ensure that we can actually meet this target by 2030. So actually it's going to impact everybody. And ultimately it's all about us ensuring that we are on the pathway to get to this net zero world by you know, either 2050 or 2070, depending on what scenario you kind of you like. But in the end, it's uh, we all have to contribute, right, to this. So, so if you're if you're a business and you run your operation and you sort of and you think that it's not going to impact you, I think it's 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 sort of it's a mistake to think so. And that's why it's really important to sort of to assess these risks. Well, and also on top of that, you know, the Security Exchange Commission now is also taking public uh, comments on possible mandatory climate-related and ESG disclosures that can be part of financial disclosures. So, so we are in the world where this information about you know how companies understand their climate related risks how they think they can manage these risks it's going to be uh like really critical you know for business because if you can really prove that you know you you as business you can remain resilient in this transition if you can convince investors that actually you can manage impacts of climate related risks on your financial performance. It's going to be really hard you know, to, to actually to stay in business. And it may not happen like tomorrow, but what we see as a trend is the trend is there. And I think that once, because it's not always easy to sort of to connect, right? Your business with like, with Paris agreement with two degrees. But I think with the, uh, with more, action on the part of the US government with more clarity on targets, it will be much easier to see what's your role. And then once you're, you know what's your role, you really have to know, you know what you need to do and you need to have your data. You need to know how, many, how much you know, greenhouse gas emissions you produce, what you need to do to reduce this and how, would you, how you can ensure that you can stay on this pathway of, you know, greenhouse gas reduction, greenhouse gas emission reduction, so we can, you know, get to this uh, net zero world <laughs> at some point. So it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts. Um, oh, and the yes. cadence is quickening. Mm -hmm. And I have a sneaky feeling that we're going to need to bring you back on really soon mm -hmm. uh, to give us some updates. Yes, yes. Just four weeks from now, and then um, we'll see what the uh, SEC says, but, but I'm sure that there'll be, you know, some, something will be coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we yeah. will await that, yeah, that yeah. thing that is coming. Well, Anton, thank you so much for all that you've shared today. I just, I really appreciate the information. I know our listeners do as well. And um, also too, you just came back from a trip. So I'm glad I was able to get some time in um, with you. Uh, tell us where you went. Uh, I was in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, actually visiting my mother. 
And yeah, it was a long trip uh, because there are not that many airlines that now fly. <laughs> and so my, uh, my ride was severe Istanbul. So total of 20 plus hours. <laughs> so yeah. still, still recovering. Well, time yeah. with family but, but, is always yeah. important. So, yeah. well, thank you again for your, and, um, your time today, Anton. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to ESG Decoded. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you consume yours and follow ESG Decoded and Global Affairs Associates across social media platforms. Until our next episode, take what you learned today to drive long-term value for your organization by doing good for people and for the planet.